Welcome to the You and I podcast. My name is Mifa Adejumo. My guest today is a woman who has braved the odds and taken the bold step to speak on her experience surviving abuse as a child and as a partner. She's a mother of two lovely kids, a singer, a massage therapist, and so much more. In fact, she wears so many hats that she quips she is multi-talented. I believe her. Our conversation was lengthy, and so feel free to pause and take a break if you have to listen to this. But I will point out that she bears her heart out on her journey to redemption and being a survivor. And her story might just inspire anyone out there feeling lost and hopeless and maybe even scared and stuck in their situation that it is possible to pick yourself up and leave. Ladies and gentlemen, without wasting any more time, I would like you to listen to my conversations with a survivor. Yeah, so um, welcome to the You and I podcast. My name is Mifa Dejumo. Yeah, so I'm sitting here with a wonderful woman who decided to, you know, share her story with us, which is really cool. So I'll give her the mic to introduce herself, tell us a little bit about herself, and then I'll get started. So, okay, my name is Olama Precious Marilyn Chinwe Onyejisi Ibe. Oh, wow, that's like 60 names already. That's, yeah, that's a lot. It's a mouthful. <laughs> that's a lot. That's cool. So, what does Olama do? Apart from being a mother to two wonderful girls, I sing, I write. Um, what kind of writing? Um, geez, um, what would I call it? Okay, um, I met a guy several years ago. Funny, I met him in this house. Yeah, I met him someplace else and then we came back to this place. But um, he's a writer. And so he sort of rubbed off on me and was trying to teach me a business angle to approach my business because of what I was doing at the time, okay. uh, personal shopping. So he said something. He said, um, it's difficult. It's easier for one person to reach 20,000 people. Because the way he put it, he tried to teach me how to reach 20,000 people with one one way than to try and use 20,000 ways to reach one person, something like that. Okay. So he was like, you can write a book and everybody can have access to the book. So he said, all your shopping tips you can put down in a book for somebody to buy. So one million readers can buy the book. So that's how I started writing. And before I knew, and I was writing before then, I would just write poems. But I, I, meeting him made me start looking at writing from a totally dis, uh, different perspective. So I write pretty much about anything that I'm feeling that I need to share. So I could write a song, I could write poetry, I could write a book on shopping. I'm not done with the one I'm writing though, so. Yeah, um, the reason I asked, you know, specifically what kind of writing was because I also, I think I pride myself as being a writer as well. And um, okay. I understand sort of the therapeutic approach to it. Um, yes. I know there are some writings that help you escape. There are others that... Yeah, of, writing in my journals, I, I yeah. did that a lot. So, um, that's why I wanted specifics, basically, to oh, know okay. what kind of writing. But I, I would want to segue to writing, particularly because the reason I feel like it's, it's going to be a huge factor here is how sometimes when we're in situations where it's hard to say what we're feeling to other people. It's easier to write it. It's easier to write it down or tell our journal in a way. So um, I think the first thing I would ask, growing up as a child, as a young girl, what was your idea of true love and happily ever after? 
um, happily ever after for me was uh, Clark Kent and Lois. Uh, yeah. or just Superman? No, just the Superman story. Okay. Watching him as a as, as a child, seeing that epitome of strength, masculinity. You know, the safety he brought to Lois always made me feel like it'd be nice to have this kind of person in my life. My dad was almost like a superhero, except that he had his crazy temper and was always yelling. But <laughs> you find out later in life that your dad is actually the first hero, mm. cape or no cape. True. You know, so um, I'd say watching um, people like my dad and my mom, the way he wasn't always like that, but the way he cared for us made me know that I wanted to be with somebody who cared for me, the way my dad cared for my mom, the way he cared for my, my, my siblings and myself. And um, all the romantic movies I watched, how the guy would, yes, I saw some things that I thought were not appropriate. Africa, uh, background-wise, I felt, why do African men yell at their wives? I don't see that in, in, in movies, you know. I was always comparing what I saw on TV with what was happening in reality. Okay. You know, so it was confusing at some point, but I knew in my heart that, a man could actually kiss your hands, he could hug you, he could kiss your forehead, he could call you to tell you he was at work, he could call you to say he was on his way back from work, he could call you during work to say he missed you, he could leave everything behind and just run away with you. My idea of the perfect home, the forever after was just somebody who loved me, who cared about my feelings, who put me first, not like... Uh, maybe from the standpoint of me being selfish or having my will on him, but somebody who couldn't stand to see me cry, who wanted to spend time listening to me, somebody who who wanted to hold me, hold my, take my hands and walk with me through a dark path, somebody who could shield me from danger, you know, not that I would only plunge myself into danger, but that was my idea, Sha, just strength, security, serenity. I think it's... It's, it's an interesting point because this day and age, a lot of things have changed, right? In terms yeah. of what is expected of a man or what's expected of a woman. woman. In terms of you know, just the social construct behind those terms. Yeah. And the fact that you've mentioned strength, you know, the fact that you want, you, you've always seen a man be somebody who takes care of you, who puts you first, not in a selfish way, but mm-hmm. in a more tender way, sort of. I would want to know though, this idea, most of us when we are young, our ideas are always very pure and you know, altruistic in a way. Mm-hmm. It always feels like, oh my God, if I really did not, it will happen, right? Yeah. So was this the same idea you took into life in terms of you know, dating, in terms of uh, meeting people, in terms of trying out the idea of romance? Was yeah. it the same thing that went to your head? Like, you know what? And if it, if it was... What, what exactly were you looking for? Like, what was your idea of a perfect man? When you decided, okay, this is, this is when I want to actually go out there and date, what was your idea of a perfect man? Well, for me, um, I'd say, like Adele said in one of her songs, be, uh, go easy on me. Something I didn't have time to choose, the things I did, or things I chose to do. Yeah. Sometimes life happens to you, and you're not even aware of what's happening. Um, um, this is just going to be a totally different um, thing from what we're discussing and the reason why we're here. But mm-hmm. I guess that also played a major role in the reason why I can even be here talking about this in the first place. Mm-hmm. I suffered abuse as a child. Yeah. I did. So um, that in itself sort of dented, or is it dented the impression, that belief, that illusion of 
the perfect uh, relationship, the perfect um, spouse, the perfect marriage, the perfect home. So I wasn't sure what to expect anymore because I was now scared. I was afraid. I didn't know who to trust anymore. So I, I think I entered my relationship phase in life. First of all, I was forced into it. And then secondly, when I was into it, I, w I, was, I was more afraid. You know, I was scared. I was suspicious. You know, I was always kind of on the defensive, not knowing what to expect. But somewhere deep inside me, I just believed somebody could come and look me in the eye and tell me, I love you, and they meant it. I want to live with you. I do, I, yeah, it sounds romantic when someone says, I could die for you, but I don't want my guy dying. <laughs> I want to live the rest of my life with him. So please, can you not be in a hurry to die? Moving into that relationship phase for me was something that I thought would, would be blissful. But man, I suffered heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And then when I thought I was done, it was more heartbreak. So, um, <clears throat> that's, um, the reason I started off with, you know, asking about, you know, dreams and, uh, aspirations in a way of, in, in a romantic sense, because I, I know for a fact that a lot of us have this idea of what we want in terms yeah. of romance, and then the reality doesn't really match up to it. Mm -hmm. And that's often the start of the disappointment, the fact that, you know, we've, We've what, what I ordered versus what yes, I got. You know, we've <laughs> idolized the, the, the superheroes, the Clark Kent and the <laughs> Louis Lanes, and then we discover that Olama is different. You know, Olama doesn't, you know, or this other guy doesn't fly. Doesn't have you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I understand that a lot of times, even when it comes to abusive relationships, there is a, a starting point. But one thing that has always struck me is how people tend to assume that you should have seen the signs. I don't necessarily believe it because I do believe people can be multifaceted. You know, people can have different alter egos, if you are going to mm -hmm. use that word, and then could hide a totally different personality from you until when they feel like they want to reveal it. Yeah. But for you personally, when you met this particular person, when you fell in love, as it were, Looking back now, would you say there were any signs for you? No, not at all. And you are absolutely correct because I don't know if it's my mom or someone, but someone said that thing to me. They said, babe, there's no way you would have known. I think it was my mom. Hmm. She said, there's no way you would have known. Yeah, you might have seen one or two things that made you say, ah, ah, wait, you know, but to have seen this as uh, the way it played out, she said, come on, give yourself a break. Hmm. Or else that in itself can do some serious damage. Right. Because that's actually where it starts. Like, um, for instance, when you get um, raped, you hear people say things like, you said, what do you find good day? Hmm. You don't know saying, that's what the guy be. But you what do you find good day? And I'm like, wow. They, people, especially here in Africa, people tend to blame you, the girl, first. They, they blame the victim first. And then in the case of marriage now, they're like, eh, do you see the signs? Because Clem asked me the same thing. So did you notice? Did you see anything? And when I thought about it, it was only when I picked up my journal maybe two or three, three years into the marriage, one day when eh, the depression hit me, I was on the floor, I was crying. He just looked at me and was like, what's this? Hey, God, I'm scared. Hey, don't kill me. You know, it was, first it was irritating to see and watch. Then it was also confusing because there I was on the floor drained. I was, see, I was drained. I was like, ah, you know, I was just sitting there just looking and he just walked out of me. I managed to pick myself up. I went to my room. I started going through my journals. That was my own escape. You know, my journals, music. And I started reading it and I was like, wait, 
So I wrote this years ago. If you ask me now, I'll say, keep a journal. Always read your journal. I think when we write into our journal, when we pour our hearts out, yeah. we tend to forget. A journal is there to remind you, you know. The journal is there to remind. If I'd been going through that journal, probably I would have been like, mm, "Am I sure this guy has changed? I better keep my fingers crossed and check whether he has really changed." But my my own background was already messed up, so I I suffered abuse. So the one thing I did not know how to do was to set boundaries. I knew things I didn't like, but I didn't know how to spell it out verbally to people that I didn't like this. I would usually have people say things, do things hurtful to me, and now show discomfort, you know, displeasure, vex, so to say, a frown, silence, well, that, would be that would be it. And then I walk away. Then, if the person had the opportunity to do it again and they did, you could get maybe like a growl, like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> you know. Then if you proceeded to do it a third time, I'll erupt. Then people started labeling me hot-tempered, crazy-ass bitch. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was me then. So at the time when he came with all the proposal, I was trying to keep him away. But one hug here, one kiss there, mm-hmm. one smooch in the corner, all that already gave me away as maybe one loose girl. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there were hormones on days when I was maybe you know really craving male uh, attention and everything. How you say you're sending out signals and hormones and everything. That was there, not knowing how to uh, put my foot down and say I'm with a guy. And that was because he kept coming at me, kept coming at me, and then. Why I even gave him face? The first time I gave him face was because my boyfriend had cheated on me. And he, 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 she didn't even hide it. He brought a babe to our house. She came to the house, so I felt betrayed. And then I thought, well, we're not married. But I didn't even jump and say, okay, my turn. I was still there hoping, okay, do you want to be with her? Because the guy that I said influenced my writing, I started teaching me what like what we call emotional intelligence. And the first thing he noticed was that I didn't know how to set boundaries. He called me, he, he blatantly, he didn't hide mixed words. He told me, he said, babe, you're a prostitute. Hmm. You have a boyfriend and then you're, you're kissing this guy on this side and this one is uh, touching you. You're a prostitute. I was so annoyed. I was like, ah, ah, what kind of rubbish? How dare you? He was asking questions like, when was the last time you had sex? I was like, ah, ah, this is rubbish now. But I, one day he sat me down and he told me, he said, this is what you're doing and it's wrong. You need to set boundaries. So that was one thing. Why have you not set boundaries was not another thing. And when it dawned on me that it was the messed up background of the sexual abuse that didn't even let me know, this is my body, I have the right to say no. You can't just come up and say you are, you are the guy, you have power, hand, bend down, spread leg, and I must comply. It was still that childhood fear, that phobia that I grew up with that still put me, but nobody knew. Everybody was just judging me as one loose in this angle. They didn't know I was dealing with the fears that came with the knights and the person that was molesting me. I grew up with, it's like I lost my voice. Mm. So anytime somebody tried to take advantage of me, they didn't necessarily need to come and pin me down physically, but maybe they'll just ask me, oh, come over, let's have lunch or something. The next thing, hand on, they go back, don't the rich waist, don't the commodity shirt. No. And I couldn't say no. I wanted to say no. Everything inside me was screaming no, but there was like, it's like your voice is there and mm. it's, it's on mute, just, you know? So yeah. I suffered like that for a long time and people just had this impression that, okay, this is who you are. It wasn't me. So when this mentor of mine was telling me that, I was enraged because I knew this is not who I am. Mm. But like I, Joyce Mary said something. She said she had been living this rebellious life and she was just you know, living a messed up life. She said one day God told her something. He said, your father abusing you is the reason you are this way. Mm. But don't let it be an excuse to remain that way. That thing gave me strength. Mm. And then I knew that I could choose to say, yes, 
I've been sexually abused, I've been verbally abused, I've been physically abused, but I can't say no. So the next time somebody, that was the things I was now reading in my journal. Mm. One day when I went to this, my ex's house, when I was hustling my ass off to take care of the lazy ass boyfriend that I was with at the time, for whom I didn't dump, for whom I did not uh, 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 jump into a relationship with my current ex, I was like, I wake up 6 a.m. Guy, I've got sweaters, I've got shirts, I've got socks. You say, bring it to the house, you can meet me before 6.30. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy everything. So I'll just go sell, come back with money. I don't pay rent. I don't buy fuel. I don't buy food. I've hustled. I've brought money before 9 a.m. And the guy is there sleeping, lounging. The only thing he knew how to do was serve me breakfast in bed. So when I read through those journals and I saw the many times that I went to go and sell markets, so to say, in this my current ex's house, how he tried to take advantage of me and how I'd fight him. One day, one of the things I wrote in my journal was like, yes. I escaped today, he didn't touch me, I celebrated it. All other times he would either get away with maybe raising t-shirt, you know, harassing me somehow, if not the actual thing. And I would feel so bad, like seeing you and also at the hospital, Papa not the walk around the papa house, so boyfriend not do anything. I'm just trying to survive. My dad is sick, and he's diabetic, he's blind, he's lost his job, everybody for himself. So this is life of a hustling chick. Nobody knows what's happening. This guy is supposed to be my friend. He's supposed to be a brother in Christ. He's not supposed to take advantage of me or take undue advantage of my situation. Why is he doing this? I'll go home every day, cry. By the time I get home, my boyfriend will say, how fast? Oh, I sold. Just wipe the tears before I get to the door. But today I saw that he actually tried and I said no. I said, wait, what happened to me? What, where did that confidence come from? When I started revisiting my journal, I started reliving the memories and I started seeing places where I wrote things like, oh, this guy is so hot-tempered, so ill-mannered, so this is, he's so not my type. Oh, I'll be sure to not marry somebody like this. I'll say, hey, ne, where did you miss it? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's really, that's really eye-opening because in, in a way, it's almost like subconscious, your subconscious was telling you this is not what you're supposed to be. Yeah. Like, this is not this the is person. Not, this, this is, is not, not the person. But so, again, I, I think, did I see thing, any signs? You know, I, I, Obviously, you saw signs in the moment, but something else might have happened. You know, again, I think it, it stems from like you, you mentioned, you've you had a lot going on mentally, you know, emotionally with family. So a lot of times, those things can be blind. You, know, you won't you know, see you, properly. From from the way you explain things, you you already saw signs in a way, but you, a lot of things cloud. Yeah, your okay, you're right. Can you can you actually think back to what happened that made you settle? Yes, um, how you say it? I'm trying to be careful with my words, but sexual abuse is a horrible thing. Hmm. It's not just somebody pinning you down, penetrating, it's what it does to your mind. Yeah, I, so I, forgive me, I always, have, I always refer to movies. It's not like boyfriend came now and said, Oh, guess what? I'm she like uh, uh, Ant Man. You know, if you watch the scenes, the way he's talking, his baby's talking, everybody's just going, hey, babe, guess what? I'm shitting on you. I'm just walking out. And I'm like, hey, okay, so me, I'm going for the boyfriend. Hey, hey, hey. It didn't happen like that. He was doing that, and I felt, okay, that's not right. Heartbroken. This, my ex, now comes in as the hero. That's mm-hmm. one thing you need to note about narcissists. He didn't come in as the bad guy who was going to save me. came to save me. Uh-uh, come on. Everybody's... Swept so, you off your feet. Yeah, so he was my Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. He was saving me. I was lowest lane. I was helpless. He was saving me. And you already had the fantasy in your head. So that, it yeah, perfectly. so it worked perfectly. And this is what narcissists do. They study you. You can't spend one week, two weeks, one month with me and not know what I like. I love music. I love flowers. And I'm very expressive. 
So when you're with me and I'm cooking and I'm playing music, like, mm, she likes cooking with music. And then you come into the house and you say, mm, she likes airy places. Mm, she likes colors. She likes animals. All you need to do is just collate that data, go back, work on it, and then boom, I'm, a, I'm your victim, you know? So that was what happened back then. Me being vulnerable, me being heartbroken, me meeting the guy who was trying to mentor, talk me out of the three-way mess, boyfriend, and this is my current ex, and one other guy who was trying to disturb my life, you know, so when I did pull away from my boyfriend, this, my current ex was pestering me. If not for that guy, I probably would have been in that mess. I was like, listen, I just broke up my boyfriend. Can you like give me space? I managed to collect, you see how you borrow energy from somebody. I borrowed voice, I borrowed leg, I borrowed everything from him and I, I expressed it. It's like he plugged his voice into me and I was speaking. So when I told this, my current, he said, leave me alone. And I started working with this guy. He said, I needed a distraction that if ever you find yourself down emotionally, go and look for something you can do to contribute to someone else's life positively to distract you from your pain. So I tried to do that. So over the years, I kind of lost contact with them. Except that this same person who I was working with, who was supposed to be the person saving me, now also turned and messed up big time. His own mess up was now bigger than everything I had gone through in my life. That was what now gave these ones liver to say, oh, if he could do that to you, we said we would do our own. Mm. And because when he did it, it was still these guys I ran back to. So when I ran back to him, he still played the hero, the nice guy, and he maintained that profile for a very long time. We still pulled apart. All of us went to our separate ways. Then out of the blues, one day, he just came and popped the question. He's like, do you have a boyfriend? And I was like, no, I don't have a boyfriend. The current boyfriend I had said, now because of you, me, and I'm quarrel. <laughs> then he's like, um, I'm getting married. I'm like, to who? And I mentioned the name of his closest female friend then. He said, nah, I'm not getting married to her. She's like my sister. If I wanted to marry her, I would have married her since... I said, so who are you getting married to? I'm marrying you. He's like, for real? So yeah, so I just assumed. We've been in church all these years. We've not been in touch. Everybody has grown. This guy prays. They'd say, if even you will marry this one, not like this. Maybe four or five years later, when everything has settled, everybody has grown, you guys have matured, you understand boundaries, you respect each other. Every, what that don't say to where everybody is zero now. So that was somewhere lingering in my head. I said, well, it's been four, five, six years since that three-way triangular mess me, him, my other boyfriend, and, you know, the other boyfriend, and then, you know, so I thought, okay, this is like prophecy, four or five years have passed. Things have settled. That ex is married to someone now. I'm available. He's available. He's asking me. He seems to have matured over time, and we're still in the same track. So I just thought, I assumed he had changed. He had grown. I mean, this is me learning from my mistakes, becoming a better person. I just I thought, I just assumed naturally that, if I'm learning, obviously he's, he's learning. If I'm growing, he's also growing. You know, if I have a good heart, definitely must have a good heart too. That was the biggest mistake, my assumption. That's tough. That's tough because um, ideally, I feel like everybody should have that assumption about everybody else. Give them the benefit of the doubts in a way. Like, uh, well, yeah, you should feel like people have grown, people have matured over time, experiences and stuff. True, but the and Bible, then they disappoint. They disappoint, yeah, but the Bible did say something, said by their fruit you shall know them. I didn't know what that statement meant. Mm. If you look at it literally, fruit take time to come out of a tree. So I don't know how long it takes, three months, six months, I need to go and do my research. But just look at it this way. God isn't just telling you, give it time. They will show, they will show their true color. Just, just calm down. So let's say you want to go into a relationship with somebody you know is married, that's forever. One year is not too much to wait to check them. 
when you guys go out to dinner and then he doesn't get the door for you, the way he talks to the waiter, the way he's eyeing the other chick that is walking past you, the way he talks to his mother, the way he treats his staff, the way he takes care of his pets, give it time. But you just be patient. In other words, don't be in a rush. If it comes to marriage, don't be in a hurry. At what point after you accepted the proposal, did, did you start seeing signs like, oh my God, this, is, not, this is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> I think we had done the registry. I think we had done the registry because I was wondering why I didn't pull away. Um, there's a friend of mine in South Africa. He had called me one time and he told me to be careful of my ex that there was something he said in an open place where there were guys drinking one time. And he was like, ah, ah. This guy is saying this thing about Olama, my friend, because that one and I grew up together. So, you know, people tend to make this mistake to think that a guy and a girl can't be together in a room and they're not having sex. True. There are guys like that. Yeah. They, they look at you, all they're seeing is kid sister. This guy is brother friend to the end. And he was like, uh, babe, this is what this guy said. And I made a mistake after I'd entered into the relationship with this guy. He said, this person said you said... <laughs> And my own sister was a victim of something like that years back. A guy she was going out with had said some things to this person, the mentor, the praise guy, who was the one motivating me to write. So he called her and said, this guy is not good for you. These are the things he said. That one now came to the office next day and said, ah, woman snatcher, homebreaker, you'll never take her from me, being all dramatic and everything. So because I, so I told my sister that this is what praise said, your guy said. I thought should I, you know how you say you sense now? Because they watch the guy, keep your fingers crossed. She went to go and tell him that, ah, Olama said, pray said. I said, ah, what do you expect? He would deny now. True. So True. to make you believe further that this, my friend, is the bad guy, he now staged the overkill drama, coming to the office, shouting. And that one didn't bother giving him audience because I was like, at the end of the day, truth will come out, which eventually came out seven years later. She found out the guy was just a jerk. So I should have learned from that mistake. I now did the same thing she did. I now went and told him, this person said you said. I mean, what was I expecting? Of course, he would deny it now. And he denied it. was at the point when he said, well, there's something called a context of use. It was at that point, I was like, what? Context of use? Seriously? So you can say something trashy about me? You know, I was so hell-bent on making him see how I'd matured over time, how you could resolve everything just by talking, because that, my mentor always said, okay, this is how our quarrels always went. He say, um... I'm upset with you. I didn't know how to quarrel like that. I grew up in a house where we always yelled. My, my dad was a soldier. He yelled at us all the time. So we were always yelling at each other. We didn't even know how to talk normally. You know, like, like I said, hi, good morning. Yeah, my name is Ahen. Then say, hey, what's up? My name is Ahen. So <laughs> I learned to talk, you know, a bit softly as a lady, you know. So um, he would be like, um, so I'm mad at you, but um, your chair is too far. I'm probably going to be raising my voice and I don't want to do that. So can you like come closer? And we'll be quiet now. Quiet will be like, okay, so this thing you did, I don't like it. I'll be like, hey, I'm on sea level. So is this, this well, okay, we're, we're fighting and this, wow, this is push. I could, I could do this all day. If this is quiet, if this is quiet, like, quiet will be my whole life. You know, so, and then that heartbreak came and it messed me up again. So I, I wanted to bring everything I'd learned. I wanted to show this guy that, listen, I don't care if you said trashy things about me. That's not the point. The point is why. Did you say it one admittance? Did you, did you admit, let's talk about the why. The why is what I want to deal with. That was who I was at the time. I didn't judge anybody, condemn anybody based on anything they said or did. It, I wanted to know the why. If I was going to respond, I was going to react, it was based on the why. So I asked him why. Did you say it? When he said context of so that means you did, but you don't want to admit. 
So it took us maybe one month, two months. He now twisted it and said that I'm quarrelsome. I said, I'm not quarrelsome. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this thing because I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. And that thing keeps eating away at my heart that somebody who I love, who I believe loves me, if I remember the men's code, the gentleman's code is you kiss, you don't tell. Mm. So if you kissed, why did you tell? That means you're not classy. That means you're not cultured. That means you're not a gentleman. Is that who you are still? Or is that who you were? At the point when he was refusing to be admittant or is he admissive of what he had done, was also another point for me to have exited. But there's something about we women sometimes. We are hoping that this love this person is professing for us is real and that because of that, he's going to want to become better. It's a lie. You need to have that love for yourself first. Enough to protect yourself from a maniac when you see signs. If I had had enough love and maybe a healthier self-esteem, I probably would have said, but then again, I was also in another place where things were really difficult for me financially and I was in a friend's place and I was almost like a nomad one mm. place to another hand. So my, my dad said something to me one day with tears in his eyes. He said, Ew, you can't need law laddy or you need Jago. That is, if say you don't marry, I'll be your whole money. I would have had peace. This was my sick mm. dad, blind dad, mm. partially stroke dad that I thought could die anytime. So that kind of put me under what um, someone called performance pressure. Wanted I wanted to yeah. show him that I could get money. But if money is too hard to get I now, get let married. me get a man. So I was under that pressure to get married and show my dad, who still died the day before I gave birth to my first daughter. So what was the point at the end of the day? And he asked me, he said, he said, Chiyo, Chiyo, that's, does this guy hit you? I said, no. Like, I, w- I, wish, I wish I told him the truth. Because one time I got this job that I thought was super cool. I was supposed to travel out, you know, and the, my boss started acting all cuckoo. And I was telling everybody, I was like, mm, where are you go, manager? When I told my dad, he said, pack your bags and get the hell out of that place. My dad was a no-nonsense person. There's anything my father could not put up with is people maltreating people, people looking mm. down on people, people using people. So if I told him yes, he probably would have said, take your things, come on. I'll sort this out myself. He probably would have done that for me, but I lied. So that was the point where I, I switched from boyfriend to psychotic side boyfriend to psychotic uh, traumatizing husband. And here we are today. I think one thing that, that has struck me is the fact that when you mentioned hope, you know, um, a lot of times when people talk about people in abusive relationships, especially ladies, people say things like, oh, uh, well, you should have left, you know, what made you stay? Why did you remain? <laughs> Even after all the battering and everything, you're like, why did you remain? And I feel like it's a little bit of a disservice to the fact that we forget how, how enticing hope can be, you know, how hope makes you think that even the worst, the worst person Change. Especially if you have some emotional attraction towards, towards them, the like, man, no problem, it will happen. Add religion to it, add prayers to it. You're like, well, there's always Fasting. a miracle, something could happen, you know, God could touch his heart and it changes. Which is why I, I think what I would want to know is how did you now get the strength? Knowing, you know, how much, uh, how much psychologically you had been, you know, caged by just that sense of hope that something would happen, you know, it would change. Where did you now pull the strength from to say, okay, I'm walking away from this? Well, I did mention that I, I love movies. 
So the movie I'm going to refer to now is a, a movie clip from my life. Um, one time when I was with my one, the boyfriend I was with, when this my ex said I should walk away, the one he asked yeah. me to dump. Let's just call him M. Mm-hmm. I was with M. And I'd been with him, I think, five years. He was just one lazy ass person. He didn't want to work, didn't want to do anything. I was just the one hosting every day. And then one day, I stumbled on a scripture. I think it's uh, Revelations, maybe 12, I'm not sure. And I saw, um, and God will judge the fearful and judge the false prophets and judge the devil or something. And I was like, what? God is going to judge the, the who? devil, false prophets, yeah, the fearful. Hey, no, no, well, people who are already timid, God is going to judge them. Ah, so I started calling with God as, you know. So I didn't understand what that meant until I watched a movie where somebody was like, oh, I've been heartbroken. I'm afraid to love again. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, this person was a jerk. Everybody out there isn't a jerk. Yeah, it's scary, but you, you, you have to try again. When I watched that movie, I don't remember what movie did. So there are several movies with scenes like that. I connected that to the scripture. I said, oh, okay, so are you indirectly saying that God doesn't want you to sit down and say just because somebody broke my heart, I'm not going to yeah. love again. I'm not going to put my foot out there again. Just because this business failed, I'm not going to try again. Oh, okay, now I get it. Okay, so God wants you to get out of that fearful place. Oh, what if I leave? If, where would I get another husband? Yeah. I'm 45. If, yeah. if I dump this abusive one, where will another one come from? So that scripture started making sense. And I was like, hmm. It's my lazy ass, good for nothing except for breakfast in bed. I uh, said bread in bed and cleaning house and you know the other side boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> if I leave him, another person will come. You have to talk to yourself, and I did that a lot. I still do. So I took that scripture, I took that scene, and I sent the message to my brain. I said, "Olama, if you walk away from M, another person will come. She'll be you day here. This uh, Okoro came. Abi." You are here. This is your mentor came. And so if all of them go, more people will come. So I held on to that. Fast forward to when I now met another guy who's also a pastor. Pastor Lekon. I'm not good. That one, I'm not even going to hide his name. I want him to hear and I want to hype him. Lekon Ayejiniwo. He said, listen, if a guy walks away from you or a lady walks away from you, it's okay. You don't cry. You shouldn't cry. We said, why? He said, because what you are saying is that you are a bad product. He said, what does that mean? He said, okay. You are beautiful. I said, yeah. You're intelligent, yeah? You're industrious, yeah? You're hardworking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're intelligent. So you said that before. You're born again, eh? So you said physically, so, eh? so, so who's losing? I said, well, so you have dreams. You have visions. You are driven. You are motivated. So you are classy on top. I said, yeah. So you are sexy. I said, yeah. I said, who's losing? I said, so you are bringing all of that to the table and the others that he had not seen. So when a person leaves you, ask yourself, do they leave you because you are a bad product or country? If you are a good product, they are lost. Mm-hmm. Miss them or cry, but don't dwell on it and be all self-pity parts. So add that to the God who judge the fearful and I'll combine that. That became my mindset. What is going to make the difference between you where you are today and where you'll be tomorrow is your mindset. And that's what the devil comes to do. He comes to mess up your mindset because... Your mindset is what's going to determine your output in life. Your mindset, whether you're going to go from that gutter to a, a, a G-Wagon, is your mindset. And I told myself that if this guy leaves, I'll get somebody. So that was my mindset. And, that was, and that's why God says to guard your heart with all diligence. 
So yeah, he knew a few things about me, but he did not know that like, if he had remembered that I told him, oh God, if I dump this one for you, I'll dump it for someone else. If he had remembered that I said that, he would have also remembered that I told myself that without this person, I'll be fine. And then if you start to F up to meet her, I'll be fine. If he had remembered, he would have known. Like they say, if the devil knew that Jesus was Jesus, he wouldn't have killed him. If he knew that who he married was somebody that you can beat down. Have you seen a champion? You beat, you cut, you scratch, you put down. And you think, ah, that was the last blow. This guy, guy is out of our blood, don't cover iron person coughs and gets back up if he knew that that's who I was, who I am. Because when God gives you a name, he calls you that name to create a character, a, an attribute in you. He called me precious. I looked up the meaning. I was like, ah, oh, my name is Marilyn. I was born Marilyn. But at some point, I changed my name to precious. I heard God. They said, change. I said, okay, precious. Okay. But they said, change them. I said, God, what would I call myself? So precious. When I checked precious, it means affectedly refined. And when you say, when you say precious, I'm talking gold, diamond, those things go through fire. So, so me knowing what my name meant gave me hope that no matter what I go through, not bad as you reach, I'm coming out better. That was just what kept me going. So when he started doing all the things he was doing, I was like, hmm. Like I said, first time I walked in, the second time you could get a growl. I was like, hmm, okay. I said, third time. I told him, I said, listen, so you say something hurtful, you do something hurtful, I get angry, I scream, I yell, I break something. Trust me, I'm still with you 100%. That means I'm alive. I'm reacting. If you take me to truth person, person normal, person don't die now. Mm. So if you stab me and I scream at you, I'm still here. But believe me, you know you say something, do something hurtful and I don't react. I don't respond. That day you've lost me. And I'm getting there gradually. So I deliberately started talking to myself that I'm getting to a point where I will not put up with this nonsense anymore because I knew who I was, I still do. Mm. One day we sat in the car, he was just talking crap, just talking. He delighted in making me cry and seeing me cry. He would tell me, say, I'm going to keep saying these things and make you cry the more. He used to say things like that to me. So we sat in the car one day and instead of crying helplessly, like, you know, all irrationally, with the tears in my eye, I remember that this Pastor Lekwa Ejimo said, when you are standing on the road and a car splashes water on you, so I'm saying, Waka, go punish you. Use that vex and connect with how they say the energy, so to say, the universe, so to say. Use that energy to connect with the universe. Say, as you splash water on me, means I go splash water on people by this time next year, I will drive my own car. I said, That thing will come to pass, pass faster than when you say it so casually. Uh, but hopefully by next year, I'll have my own car. He said, That vex, so, oh, look at my dress. Use it to prophesy and create your own car. So I said, Okay, you are hurting me. I'm sitting in the car with you, I'm your wife, and you are taking pleasure in hurting me. Guess what, Chadi? My king is coming. If you have refused, because I used to call him my lover, I used to call him my king. He would do things, some really disgusting things. I'll be like, guy, you are a king. Don't do that. So that was another thing I went into relationship with. My vision of who I was and who my man should be. I believed he was a king. Even though he didn't have a crown on his head. I believed just by projecting that love and that image of king counting that he would soon start behaving like a king i was trying to project king he was trying to project something else on me so i told him every day i said my king is coming he's going to come he's going to find me he's going to save me my king is coming that i kept those words on my lips every day my king is coming one day i sat up in the room on the bed i think maybe 3 a.m or something and i wept i said god I saw in my dream, or before I married this guy, I heard the voice clearly, if you marry Chadi, you will ask God to forgive you. If I had connected the dots, 
what are the things that makes a person say, God, forgive me, is when you sin against God. That means if I marry child, you have to say, fill in the gaps, you will sin against God. It's only sin that leads you to asking for forgiveness. So if I interpreted that dream that way, that it meant I was sin against you, and I did the right thing, which is to not place man above you, why would I choose the option of sinning against you because I want to marry a man? I messed up. I have no excuse. Forgive me. But God, if you can come and save me, you know if they ask now, do you want a divorce? I'll say, no, even though everyone comes in, I want a divorce. It's not for my heart. But if you can come and save me, if you will have mercy on me and save me, I know that I will live again, I will laugh again, I will smile again, and I will get to that place that you created me to be. To be. Just have mercy on me. I vow, God, I promise you, I will spend the rest of my life singing for you. And God did. So it's not like I just became one super one one. No! The guy beats me physically, he beats me verbally, he beats me sexually. One time I told him, I said, you are a devil, you are a demon. And he said, of course I'm the devil. And I slept with you. The thing, he got me. He wanted, he wanted it to pain me and he did. He always pained me. But when I remembered Matrix, I remember Kung Fu Panda, how, you know how Mr. Anderson wanted to fuse everybody. Mm. So if he fused the people who were of lesser spiritual strength, he took over them. That was a mistake he made, fusing with uh, Neil. That was the chosen one. It's like saying Christ. You know, the devil thought that he had killed uh, Jesus Christ and the, the battle that was going on, you know, where we didn't see. He thought he had taken over Christ and Christ. He didn't know he was in death. That he was the super god, the superhero he was. So he was in beating me up, so to say. In beating me up, in stripping me naked in front of friends, in talking down, in calling me names. It was in burning me to ashes that I rose. If you knew, if for not trying. I'd, I'd been the pity party, oh, the shanu me, dude. Oh, don't you love me? Oh, chadi me. Oh, chadi hey. And I saw, nah, it's not working. I started reading up on narcissism. I was like, hmm. What they fear is your silence, your indifference. The next time he said something, I was quiet. He was restless. Hmm. Now, I'm not trying to say that if you're in an abusive relationship, when the guy says something, you should not be quiet, and that's not going to be your modus operandi to remain in it. Mm -mm. But I saw that it worked. Yeah, because most abusers have a pattern. They, they want to get a reaction out of you. They do. It's always a reaction. The reaction is what fuels them. Yes, they want to. They want to bring you over to mm -hmm. the dark side. So if 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 they are trying and you're not, and you're not responding, they, they, they become uncomfortable. Like what's happening? What's happening? Yeah, so. They are afraid. So if you are out there and you're listening, and you you are planning to get out, listen. First step: get to the internet and read up as much as you can on narcissism. If I hope you're intelligent so that you can download faster the way I did. But your, your solution, your savior, your miracle is God. All of this was happening. Um, you already had kids by then. Yeah, we had kids. And this, this was happening uh -uh. in front of the my, kids. My, my first daughter, I'm, I'm grateful to God for, for grace, for strength, for wisdom, for emotional intelligence, for mentors like the one that gave us this place to use, Leslie George. <laughs> um, my friend, another friend came to visit yesterday. And he was trying to tell me, he said he prayed for me and stuff, and that, he, that God showed him some beautiful things that were going to happen in my life. And I was like, wow. And then he said, but your kids are going to love their father. There's nothing you can do about that. I was like, ah, Oga, that was the plan from get go. He was shocked. You see, most women, when they come out of a relationship, even if they're not married, but they have a child with a guy, how they're like, ah, that guy, he's stupid. Your father, you're useless. Yeah, it's normal to say that. But I told him, I said, if I raise my kids to hate their father, then he has won. 
I can't raise monsters like him. My first daughter, when I left Lagos and I moved to Mowi, there was a scar on my arm. So I was I was heartbroken the day she came and she I was dressing up and she just took me and she said, "Mommy, Daddy did that to you. He pushed me outside the door one night. We were struggling and he pushed me. I tried to get back in. Then he closed the door on my arm and the door cut my arm." And I screamed, and my daughter saw it, and she tried to reach for me. So I said, I'm fine. Mommy's okay. But she saw it. So this was us. We had left Lagos, and we were home. And she went straight for that place where I was caught. And she said, Daddy did this to you. I said, no. No, it was the door. Don't mind that door. Bad door. And she looked at me like, you think I'm stupid. My daughter is five. She just turned six. You should hear her talk. You think you're talking to a maybe a 20-year-old. She said, Mom, I was there. They messed up my mind. I said, God, please get those images out of her heart. So sometimes I buy them like a nice dress. I say, guess who bought this? She says, your dad. Your dad bought this. She said, really? Oh, he's the best dad ever. With a fake smile on my face, a bleeding heart. But... With the way you describe your daughter right now, yeah, don't don't you think she knows? Like even when you do gestures like that, you know, buy things and say it's from your dad. Don't you think because she sounds like someone who even for her age is already very emotional. She's too intelligent for her own age. So don't, don't, don't you think she knows? And well, if 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 she does know, how how do you navigate that in a way? Because I understand want, not wanting them to hate their dad despite whatever. You know, history yeah. you guys have because again like you mentioned that would be him winning in a way but then for a girl there's still that need to know the truth okay? in a way especially for an intelligent girl like she is yeah. someone who remembers and i know we would hope that when she grows up you know a lot of these images would have blurred out and stuff <laughs> but do you plan on actually getting to a point where you sit her down and tell her this was the reality. I knew some of it, you caught wind of some of it, mm-hmm. that, you know, I tried to dabble around <laughs> and play around, but this was the reality. And if you do get to that point, do you still feel like it would be possible for her not to hate her dad? Well, um, I, I know I told, I'm not going to lie, so who won't vex me, vex? Oh, one of the things about being in an abusive relationship is, especially when you, you're overcome with fear, you start to secretly wish your partner would just die. Hmm. I owe oh, several times. I'd wish he would die. I'm waiting to see my phone buzz and they say, Hey, in a crossroad, motor knock him down. I'll be like, Hey, man. <laughs> so, yeah, people just would not come out and admit it because in these parts, if you say, I will show you, and the person you said that to die tomorrow, say, Hey, now you kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I several times, I hoped to God that he would just drop dead and die so that. I wouldn't need to tell my daughter what he did. I just would have preferred for her to grow up and just have a memory of him. And I'm like, your dad was a good guy. And not saying that. And then maybe one day when I check, okay, you are grown now. I can tell you, listen, your father was a devil. He was a distinct But sadly, he died. And I didn't want you to hate him. And then she will cry some more and will hug. But as for my daughter, super intelligent person as she is, um, my prayer right now that your father is still alive, dang it. is that God will protect her heart. But on telling her the truth, I 
honestly wish. You like some people, I, I know. I, I wish that by the time she's all grown, like some people have been telling me, ah, Auntie, you go come back. If he comes to genuinely apologize, there might not be any need to tell her what happened. She could just say, but okay, why'd you guys break up? I said, I didn't work, Jerry. But that's your dad, you know. Okay, so I'll talk to you guys later. And she doesn't know the gory is in between. Except that I'm planning on making a movie. And, yeah, and then the movie. And there's this podcast. Yeah, too. and then there's this podcast. <laughs> so she'll be like, Mom, was that you? I'm like, uh, yes, it is. So, but um, I'm going to be alive long enough to answer any questions that she has. But I'm not going to be scared of shielding her heart. Because I know some people who try to leave, like my friend. I don't even want to get emotional now that she tried to leave. The guy used to beat her. I was also a pastor. She took her daughter to her mom. By the time she went back with the son, the guy struck her. She fell down and she died. Sadly, that would be one of the points I wanted to segue into, which is um, recently with this um, the evangelist woman who died. Yeah, it, it, I think it, this brought to light a lot of underlying abuse that have, people have ignored and stuff like that. And I know for a fact that there is something called survivor's guilt, which is basically where you feel like um, it's almost like because you've been in a situation similar to what somebody has been in and you survived, they did not, you tend to feel like okay, what made me so special that I was able to pull away from this? And it's a very it's it's a very psychological thing, survivors do because it affects a lot of people. I know for a fact um, during the NSARS protest, I remember going for one of the protests itself at Alausa here. Wow. And then I think the next week when uh, uh, the shootout happened in Lekki, people died. For like a week or two, I was not myself because I was feeling like it could have easily been mm-hmm. because I actually had plans. I wanted to go to Lekki as well and be there with them and everything. So. I, I dealt with that like okay why did that why why am why do I feel so special so I don't know did you deal with something like that especially when because there are so many domestic abuse issues that you probably would have heard of on the internet and stuff so when you see stuff like this that trigger emotions that trigger memories but besides prayer what other coping mechanisms do you have that helps you through the through the emotions I. I can be very weird. I uh, was diagnosed with fibroids several years ago before I had my first daughter. Mm. And they wonder where this is going to be this way. Then I met this wonderful chick in a church I attended once. And then I learned she, I went for a meeting. She was supposed to be heading the meeting. She wasn't there the first week, second week. And I called the second week and said, ah, what's happening now? She picked the phone and said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling well. But she didn't tell me what was happening. By the third week, I saw a banner. Rest in peace. I was like, what? What happened? She had fibroids. She went for a surgery. She, the surgery was successful. 15 minutes later, started bleeding, and that was that. And then I was like, okay. So she died. She, has, she had fibroids. And this was me praying to God, God, please, I want you to take this fibroids away from my body. I don't think I want to go for any surgery. I stopped praying that prayer. I said, Lord, you know what? I changed my mind. Leave the fibroid. I said, you know why? If you take the fibroid away, like you said, survivor's guilt, then I'm okay. I survive. I don't have to go for surgery and probably lose my life. But if you leave the fibroids there, I could grow to learn or discover a cure, a remedy. Because the whole 
me taking to being a massage therapist pushed me into dermatology and so many other things. My dad being diabetic pushed me to learn about healing people naturally, you know. So my dad also had a passion for treating people, healing people. So my granddad was like, that's what So I said, if you leave the fibroids, I would want to find a cure. So now I said all of that to say this. When I heard about Osinachi, that's actually what brought me here. I didn't even know it was her. I was like, who? Is it Osinachi, Sinachi, Christ he said, no, the other evangelist said, ah, okay, okay, I know her voice, but I, I know her songs. I don't know. That's her name. She what? The husband did what he ah. When everything started coming out, and I saw a post that Clem put up. And the Clem, as I said, the Clem, the post was almost, it was very personal. You could tell it was addressing a particular person. So I responded to what he posted on his status. And I was mm-hmm. like, thanks for lending your voice. He said, babe, wait now. You also suffered it. It was at that point when he said that thing. I said, hmm. Then he told me he went to Alasa to report a neighbor who had been yeah, abused. told me that. So too. I was like, ah. And listen, if you are listening to this, this is my friend went to report a case of serious abuse and no man said nothing's happening. Yeah. Please, let me tell you, you're not saving your marriage anything. You're destroying your children because you are as irresponsible as the idiots that is beating you. Because if you die, at least, okay, now, Osinachi is dead. Those one is in prison. What happens to the kids? Hmm. If you are thinking it's your marriage, you are saving. You are saving your name. Because Africa, all they know is shame. Yeah. Cha- the Japanese shame even know honor. Africans only know shame. If they thought about honor, they would fight. They would speak up. They're thinking about shame. Oh, we we'll see. Hmm. Oh, my pastor see. They say my marriage fails. Hey, my enemy has won. Let the enemy win for now. You get out first. And then we strategize and then come back. Let your winning be your success. Let your winning be your staying alive for the kids. If you're out there coming, don't cover up anything because if you die, they'll take your partner if they catch them killing you and your children will become property of society. You failed your children. So for me, hearing that she died and him saying, uh-uh, waiting, babe, you suffered the same thing, kind of triggered and not just her. I read about this girl, Bamishe. I don't know why that girl's yeah. face keeps coming back to my head. I, I, Ostinachi's incident said, it's not even paining me half. Yeah half as much as that girl said for weeks i kept saying god why why am i having fun i don't know the girl i never i don't know who she's i never knew she was never met her something i just read on internet why is it, yeah why is it tormenting me every day i picture yeah so somebody gave birth to a girl not her to maybe 20 something years old prayed for her bathed her somebody and somebody just came and said oh look uh, sacrifice and took her according to what was described she was alive and they cut out her private pastor why didn't you kill her first then cut what you want to cut. So you tortured her. You then. tortured her first. Then see, ah, so every day when I'm walking on the road and I see young girls, I'm like, oh God, please. My heart starts to. Okay. So I've never, I've been, I've, I think okay, that might be my own survival because I was once kidnapped. Hmm. And I escaped that. So this is me now listening to Osinachi's story and I'm like, what's happening? So my ex did everything he did and got away with it and he's still threatening me like if I took the kids away that will not give me money. This one even stayed and they beat her. I guess this vex that my friend died and this other person has died and somebody I know in the equation is trying to fight for somebody and the person is keeping her mouth shut. I think all of that combined together just, just pushed me and I was like, no, I'm going to talk. No. I don't care if anybody sees my face. I say, oh, there goes that lady with the failed marriage. Now you sabi. Better a failed marriage than a failed heart. But I'm, I'm trying to understand. If you say your mother was abusive, your father was abusive, they beat you too much, they scolded you, they did this, Okay, okay, sorry. Don't take it out on another person's child. 
If you know you are messed up, please don't go and propose to any man. Don't propose to any woman. Stay on your own. Deal with your demons. Listen. This goes for everybody who is listening. All of us will go through hell and high water. You can't escape it. All of us will go through some trauma. You cannot escape it. This is what is the, the cocoa. It's not what you went through. Who are you at the end of the verbal abuse, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse? Who are you? Because I read something. They said you have three options in life. You can either end up like the coffee, the carrot, or the okay, there's coffee or the egg. I was like, what does that mean? He said, so you are this Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Sweet Guy, Mr. Nice Girl, Mr. Sweet Girl. You are soft like the egg. You now go through life's crisis, tribulations, trials, persecutions, abuse, and everything. And then you now say, ah, me, ah, lie, lie. I'm not one woman anymore. And nobody will come and chop and clean my toe. And you now become hard-boiled. You throw away your sweetness, your softness. All the things that came with you, all your follow come. You throw it away to temperature of uh, boiling water. You end up like the carrots. You are hard, you are disciplined, you are principled, you are focused, you are, dis- you are driven. You are, you know, a machine, so to say. You go through life's high waters and hellfire. Then you come back. When carrots enter hot water, what happens? It becomes all floppy. You give up. Life has defeated you. But if you go through life's crisis, like the coffee, dry, but when they put you inside water, you start to boil, you start to ooze that lovely, irresistible aroma, you have won. No matter what you go through in life, make up your mind that that thing is not going to get the better part of you. Let somebody else learn from your pain, not be a victim of it. Pave the path for somebody else's life to be better if yours was miserable. I, I wish I wish more people would be able to, and I understand it's very tough. You know, I understand that people are different, experiences are different. You know, uh, some of us have lower threshold for pain than the other people. Mm-hmm. But I wish more people would adopt. The idea that just because you went through something is not enough reason for you to want to inflict the same thing on the next person. To end this by you know asking you to uh, because obviously you mentioned that you're multi talented, so, <laughs> so maybe you can tell us some of the things you do where we can find you. You know, you um, mentioned being a massage therapist. Yes, you could also mention that you know cooking. Handle. My Instagram handle is Olama the Image Consultant, but I haven't put out anything in a long time. I've been I've been healing and recovering, so <laughs> that's the truth. But once I get myself back, I probably have a new handle. But right now it's Olama the Image Consultant. So I write, I sing, I cook, I style. If you need to go for a function, you don't know what to wear, call me. I'll go shopping with you, go shopping for you. Um, I do. I give fantastic massages. So that's basically it. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks. And that does it, folks. First, I want to thank Olama for her time and for doing this on what was technically a very short notice. I want to thank her for her bravery as well. I also want to thank her mentor who hosted us at his place to have this recording. Seated at the courtyard with the kindness of the evening breeze, we were able to speak candidly without any major interruptions. And lastly, thank you for listening if you made it this far. Until next episode, wishing you all the best and more. Cheers.